Section 47 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix history of england from the invasion of julius caesar to the revolution of sixteen eighty eight by david hume volume one d section forty seven chapter forty five part two the puritans were here so unreasonable as to complain of a partial and unfair management of the dispute as if the search after truth were in any degree the object of such conferences and a candid indifference so rare even among private inquirers in philosophical questions could ever be expected among princes and prelates in a theological controversy the king it must be confessed from the beginning of the conference showed the strongest propensity to the established church and frequently inculcated a maxim which though it has some foundation is to be received with great limitations no bishop no king the bishops in their turn were very liberal of their praises towards the royal disputant and the archbishop of canterbury said that undoubtedly his majesty spake by the special assistance of god's spirit a few alterations in the liturgy were agreed to and both parties separated with mutual dissatisfaction it had frequently been the practice of the puritans to form certain assemblies which they called prophesyings where alternately as moved by the spirit they displayed their pious zeal in prayers and exhortations and raised their own enthusiasm as well as that of their audience to the highest pitch from that social contagion which has so mighty an influence on holy fervours and from the mutual emulation which arose in those trials of religious eloquence such dangerous societies had been suppressed by elizabeth and the ministers in this conference moved the king for their revival but james sharply replied if you aim at a scottish presbytery it agrees as well with monarchy as god and the devil there jack and tom and will and dick shall meet and censure me and my counsel therefore i reiterate my former speech le roi s'avisera stay i pray for one seven years before you demand and then if you find me grow pursy and fat i may perchance hearken unto you for that government will keep me in breath and give me work enough such were the political considerations which determined the king in his choice among religious parties the next assembly in which james displayed his learning and eloquence was one that showed more spirit of liberty than appeared among his bishops and theologians the parliament was now ready to assemble being so long delayed on account of the plague which had broken out in london and raged to such a degree that above thirty thousand persons are computed to have died of it in a year though the city contained at that time little more than one hundred and fifty thousand inhabitants the speech which the king made on opening the parliament 
fully displays his character and proves him to have possessed more knowledge and better parts than prudence or any just sense of decorum and propriety though few productions of the age surpass this performance either in style or matter it wants that majestic brevity and reserve which become a king in his addresses to the great council of the nation it contains however a remarkable stroke of candour where he confesses his too great facility in yielding to the solicitations of suitors a fault which he promises to correct but which adhered to him and distressed him during the whole course of his reign the first business in which the commons were engaged was of the utmost importance to the preservation of their privileges and neither temper nor resolution was wanting in their conduct of it in the former periods of the english government the house of commons was of so small weight in the balance of the constitution that little attention had been given either by the crown the people or the house itself to the choice and continuance of the members it had been usual after parliaments were prolonged beyond one session for the chancellor to exert a discretionary authority of issuing new writs to supply the place of any members whom he judged incapable of attending either on account of their employment their sickness or other impediment this practice gave that minister and consequently the prince an unlimited power of modelling at pleasure the representatives of the nation yet so little jealousy had it created that the commons of themselves without any court influence or intrigue and contrary to some former votes of their own confirmed it in the twenty-third of elizabeth at that time though some members whose places had been supplied on account of sickness having now recovered their health appeared in the house and claimed their seat such was the authority of the chancellor that merely out of respect to him his sentence was adhered to and the new members were continued in their places here a most dangerous prerogative was conferred on the crown but to show the genius of that age or rather the channels in which power then ran the crown put very little value on this authority insomuch that two days afterwards the chancellor of himself resigned it back to the commons and gave them power to judge of a particular vacancy in their house and when the question concerning the chancellor's new writs was again brought on the carpet towards the end of the session the commons were so little alarmed at the precedent that though they readmitted some old members whose seats had been vacated on account of slight indispositions yet they confirmed the chancellor's sentence in instances where the distemper appeared to have been dangerous and incurable nor did they proceed any further in vindication of their privileges than to vote that during the sitting of parliament there do not at any time any writ go out for choosing or returning any member without the warrant of the house in elizabeth's reign we may remark and the reigns preceding sessions of parliament were not usually the twelfth part so long as the vacations and during the latter the chancellor's power if he pleased to exert it was confirmed at least left by this vote as unlimited and unrestrained as ever 
in a subsequent parliament the absolute authority of the queen was exerted in a manner still more open and began for the first time to give alarm to the commons new writs having been issued by the chancellor when there was no vacancy and a controversy arising upon that incident the queen sent a message to the house informing them that it were impertinent for them to deal in such matters these questions she said belonged only to the chancellor and she had appointed him to confer with the judges in order to settle all disputes with regard to elections the commons had the courage a few days after to vote that it was a most perilous precedent where two knights of a county were duly elected if any new writ should issue out for a second election without order of the house itself that the discussing and adjudging of this and such like differences belonged only to the house and that there should be no message sent to the lord chancellor not so much as to inquire what he had done in the matter because it was conceived to be a matter derogatory to the power and privilege of the house this is the most considerable and almost only instance of parliamentary liberty which occurs during the reign of that princess outlaws whether on account of debts or crimes had been declared by the judges incapable of enjoying a seat in the house where they must themselves be lawgivers but this opinion of the judges had been frequently overruled i find however in the case of vaughan who was questioned for an outlawry that having proved all his debts to have been contracted by suretyship and to have been most of them honestly compounded he was allowed on account of these favourable circumstances to keep his seat which plainly supposes that otherwise it would have been vacated on account of the outlawry when james summoned this parliament he issued a proclamation in which among many general advices which like a kind tutor he bestowed on his people he strictly enjoins them not to choose any outlaw for their representative and he adds if any person take upon him the place of knight citizen or burgess not being duly elected according to the laws and statutes in that behalf provided and according to the purport effect and true meaning of this our proclamation then every person so offending to be fined or imprisoned for the same a proclamation here was plainly put on the same footing with a law and that in so delicate a point as the right of elections most alarming circumstances had there not been reason to believe that this measure being entered into so early in the king's reign proceeded more from precipitation and mistake than from any serious design of invading the privileges of parliament sir francis goodwin was chosen member for the county of bucks and his return as usual was made into chancery the chancellor pronouncing him an outlaw vacated his seat and issued writs for a new election sir john fortescue was chosen in his place by the county but the first act of the house was to reverse the chancellor's sentence and restore sir francis to his seat at the king's suggestion the lords desired a conference on the subject but were absolutely refused by the commons as the question entirely regarded their own privileges 
the commons however agreed to make a remonstrance to the king by the mouth of their speaker in which they maintained that though the returns were by form made into chancery yet the sole right of judging with regard to elections belonged to the house itself not to the chancellor james was not satisfied and ordered a conference between the house and the judges whose opinion in this case was opposite to that of the commons this conference he said he commanded as an absolute king an epithet we are apt to imagine not very grateful to english ears but one to which they had already been somewhat accustomed from the mouth of elizabeth he added that all their privileges were derived from his grant and hoped that they would not turn against him a sentiment which from her conduct it is certain that princess had also entertained and which was the reigning principle of her courtiers and ministers and the spring of all her administration the commons were in some perplexity their eyes were now opened and they saw the consequences of that power which had been assumed by the chancellor and to which their predecessors had in some instances blindly submitted by this course said a member the free election of the counties is taken away and none shall be chosen but such as shall please the king and council let us therefore with fortitude understanding and sincerity seek to maintain our privilege this cannot be construed any contempt in us but merely a maintenance of our common rights which our ancestors have left us and which it is just and fit for us to transmit to our posterity another said this may be called a quo warranto to seize all our liberties a chancellor added a third by this course may call a parliament consisting of what persons he pleases any suggestion by any person may be the cause of sending a new writ it is come to this plain question whether the chancery or parliament ought to have authority notwithstanding this watchful spirit of liberty which now appeared in the commons their deference for majesty was so great that they appointed a committee to confer with the judges before the king and council there the question of law began to appear in james's eyes a little more doubtful than he had hitherto imagined it and in order to extricate himself with some honour he proposed that both goodwin and fortescue should be set aside and a writ be issued by warrant of the house for a new election goodwin gave his consent and the commons embraced the expedient but in such a manner that while they showed their regard for the king they secured for the future the free possession of their seats and the right which they claimed of judging solely in their own elections and returns a power like this so essential to the exercise of all their other powers themselves so essential to public liberty cannot fairly be deemed an encroachment in the commons but must be regarded as an inherent privilege happily rescued from that ambiguity which the negligence of some former parliaments had thrown upon it at the same time the commons in the case of sir thomas shirley established their power of punishing as well the persons at whose suit any member is arrested as the officers who either arrest or detain him their asserting of this privilege admits of the same reflection 
about this period the minds of men throughout europe especially in england seem to have undergone a general but insensible revolution though letters had been revived in the preceding age they were chiefly cultivated by those of sedentary professions nor had they till now begun to spread themselves in any degree among men of the world arts both mechanical and liberal were every day receiving great improvements navigation had extended itself over the whole globe travelling was secure and agreeable and the general system of politics in europe was become more enlarged and comprehensive End of section forty seven Chapter forty five, part two. Recording by Asterix.